The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. We're going to talk about what true confession is from the Word of God. And I want to first give kind of a personal testimony of what I thought it was and what I think many Christians believe confession to be when we read verses like 1 John 1.9. How many grew up like religious and you, you went to confession? Anybody in here ever go to confession? Okay. And I did not grow up that way, and so I don't know the awkwardness of sitting in a booth and telling somebody I don't know uh, my sins uh, and having that anonymity of doing that. Um, I understand if you would, the reasoning and the logic behind those things, but I also know biblically uh, that confessing my sin to a priest does not absolve my sin. It doesn't deal with my sin properly is what God would have us or the way that God instructs us in his word to actually uh, deal with our sin. And I'm glad that we have a better way than what religion offers for dealing with sin. But I think sometimes uh, on the other side, Uh, those that have not grown up with religion and and understood the serious consequences or perhaps some of the things that need to be done when we do sin, that sometimes we take it lightly. And so I want you to look at 1 John uh, chapter 1 and verse number 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That is to say, that God is just and holy and perfect. There's no evil. There's no shadow of evil. There's no inkling of evil. He knows no sin, and uh, there is nothing but perfect holiness in our God. And I hope that you you appreciate that about God, and you love that about God. I'm glad that He is not uh, in the world that we live in. Even the heroes that are presented to us are always more admirable to us because... Uh, of their flaws and because of their hang-ups and because of the things that they do. Uh, I'm glad that God doesn't have flaws. I'm glad that he doesn't have hang-ups. I'm glad that he doesn't have uh, bad habits and secret sins. I'm glad he's not like the gods that we see that are in this world. How many believe that we have a holy God? And he's holy, 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 the Bible tells us. And verse number six, if we say that we have fellowship with him, that's talking again about a God who is holy and perfect And we're saying we have fellowship with the Holy God, and we walk in darkness. The Bible says we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. The Bible's talking about here about the fellowship that we have with each other because of the fact that we are in the light, or we've been redeemed, and we've been uh, made right. Now look at what the Bible continues to say in verse number 8, after it says he cleansed us from our sin, the Bible continues by saying, if we say we have no sin, in other words, there's not no sin in our lives to be cleansed by Christ, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But verse number 9 says, if we confess, and that's an important word and we're going to focus on it just for a few moments tonight. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. How many believe that secrets lose their power, sin loses its power? I made the statement this morning, but I want to build on it. 
when exposed to light. When it gets out in the light, when it's exposed. And the light that exposes our secrets and frees the heart, uh, our hearts from the oppressive power of guilt is confession. That's what the Bible says. So in order to deal with the guilt that's in our hearts, we need to confess. And that's what uh, the, uh, the, uh, John is focusing on here in the back half of the first chapter of the epistle. But I'm not talking about, again, the kind of confis- confession that many are accustomed to. Like uh, just saying, yeah, uh, I broke the vase. I drank uh, out of the milk carton again. I'm sorry that I, di- I did that. Um, yes, officer, the light was red and I ran through it. Okay, I'm not talking about that kind of simple, if you would, confession or saying, yes, I did it. That kind of idea uh, that sometimes people think about when they think of confession. And that kind of confession is not what the Bible's talking about. That kind of confession, what does it do? Well, it eases our conscience temporarily, but it does nothing to expose the deep secrets in our hearts that we carry. And it's the secrets in our hearts that keep us in guilt and turmoil. And worse, this kind of confession, uh, that when we think confession means that, just kind of just saying that we did something wrong, or, you know, I'm sorry I did that, or I'm sorry that I did something wrong, there I confessed. Having that attitude towards confession, when it comes to even when we look about confessing our sins to God, uh, it's, it can actually fuel destructive behavior rather than curb it, and lead to more secrets and greater guilt in our lives. And let me explain, you know, one of the first verses I think probably many young people learn when we grow up in church is 1 John 1, 9. We learn it, we know it, many of the young people in here that had grew up in church or Sunday school have memorized it. If we confess our sins, do you know it? If you know it, say it with me. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we know the verse, it's familiar to us, we hear it often And if you don't know what that word confession means, it's easy to think about confession in terms of just telling God I did wrong. You know, just going to God and saying, you know, I messed up. I messed up again, God, it's me. Yeah, I did it. You know, you know I did it. I did it again. And sometimes that's what people believe confession to be, and that's why they never break uh, the chain, uh, why they never uh, get free from certain things uh, that are in our lives. And I think if you think about it in that term, like I did, like a kid, uh, it's too good to be true. I messed up, I admit it, God forgives me, I move on. That must be some kind of a loophole, right? I mean, that's it? I get to just say, God, I did it, and I get to move on? I mean, there's nothing that comes after that, and sometimes I think that's what we do. And and, uh, if if we frequent an altar, you know, we have this idea of, you know, I'm coming to the altar, I'm going to tell God I did wrong again, and then I'm going to go back to my seat. And I feel better just for temporary, for a little bit of time, because I've alleviated myself of the guilt of, of, of saying that I did something wrong. And I'm not saying that there's not a positive that may come uh, from that, but that is not the confession that 1 John 1 9 is talking about. And it's not a loophole in God's way of dealing with us. And sometimes that's what we're looking for anyway, isn't it? We don't want to really do what God's word is telling us to do when it comes to our sin. And so we look for those loopholes to continue in our sin. And sometimes we think that way. And, and, and for me, uh, thinking I discovered a loophole as a child over time and as a teenager, this verse became an escape hatch every night before I went to sleep. Some of you can probably think of this. Maybe you do it now. Uh, I would carry on 
you know, for an excruciatingly long time, uh, in detailed monologue with God, mostly about my sin. I would try to remember all the sins that I had committed that day because I had heard preaching that you should confess all of your sins and you should name them all to God. I mean, you should come down with the list of all the things that you had said and all the things that uh, you had done. And, and either way, I, I was so careful to confess each and everything I'd done wrong and thought wrong and said wrong. And at the end, just to be safe, what would we add at the end, right? And God... Forgive me of any, for anything that I overlooked, for anything I didn't say. Because if I don't say all the things, then I'm not going to get all the forgiveness, right? I need to get everything out in the clear, and so I'm just going through in my head. How many have done this? Are you with me? We got this cycle where we're trying to get, you know, make sure everything's right. And so we're just, you know, excruciatingly going through this process. And I remember being a young person going through that process. I went to sleep thinking my sin bucket was empty. Are you with me? I mean, I get to start clean, you know, as long as I fall asleep right then and there, I probably won't commit another sin, and at least while I'm unconscious, I'll be okay, right, until the morning, and then I'm going to have to start the process over again. We laugh at that, but that's, come on, some of us, that's, you know, because of the religion and the religious background and some of the guilt that we carry that's kind of, and even sometimes how this kind of preaching is is presented to us in dealing with sin. We think about it in that term. And in fact, you know, odds are pretty good that uh, I'm going to commit the same sins that I committed today that I committed yesterday. The Bible is careful to tell us that there are sins that so easily, what, beset us. Uh, Anybody deal with the same sins over and over again? Or am I the only one? Do you have things that, you know, you have to continuously pay attention to? Do you have weaknesses? You know, that you have to kind of pay attention to, and if you don't, you know, if you don't, make sure that you pay attention to those areas of your life, and, and so uh, we'd fill that bucket with the same sins that we emptied the night before. Uh, but hey, you know, we confessed, right? We, we said it, we confessed it, we said the words, and we're counting on God to keep His end of the deal. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to uh, cleanse us. And when I'm tempted to sin, I'd reason to myself, I know this is wrong, but if I go through with it, what do we do? I can always confess it again. You ever, you ever think that way? I know I shouldn't do this, but the escape hatch, the loophole, is I can always go back and confess it again. God is going to forgive me. Um, he's going to cleanse me, and so, you know, it'll be okay, and I can just continue. And then I began to notice a dangerous trend. When I was tempted to sin... I would reason to myself, know this is wrong, and say, if I go through it, I can always confess it, and God will forgive me, and everything will be fine. And before long, this is what we know, our confession habit supports our sin habit. Before long, our confession habit supports our sin habit, and it's quite a system that we can have going with that. Is You know, as long as I'm confessing, I can continue, and God is going to forgive me, And I'm sure God, you know, was wringing his hands, right? Pacing the floor. After all, I'd found a loophole. He'd said it, so he had to follow through with it. And God's like, oh no, why did I tell them that they could confess their sins and that I would forgive them? Why would I do that? Why would I enable them in that? Would you think God is saying that? No, because God's not saying the way we often are thinking about what 1 John 1, 9 says. The first thing I want to say to you tonight is don't play the confession game. Don't play the confession game. 
You know, chances are, I gave you my version of the game. Chances are you have your own version. You ever play a game with someone else and they have their own version? It could be Monopoly. Everybody seems to have their own version of Monopoly. You know, depending on who you're playing with or which family you're playing with, they all have their own version, whatever rules uh, that they have. Chances are you have your own version of the confession game. I told you what mine was. Some confess to a priest. Some confess directly to God. But let's be honest, playing the confession game is not about an interest to change anything. Playing the confession game is not saying, God, I want to change. It's saying, God, I want to feel better about what I'm doing. Playing the confession game is is saying, I want the cloud to lift, and I want the bucket of sin to be empty, and I want the slate to be clean, but I want that to happen without me being changed. Now I know that that's just not what the Bible is saying. Now we got God off our case. We think perhaps He's on our side. But, you know, would you side with someone who treated you the way that we treat God when it comes to playing the confession game? I mean, would you, would you want to continue in that relationship? I'm glad that God is bigger than what we are. But let's face it, our approach to confession... And that approach, maybe not your approach, and I'm not going to assume that this is your approach. It may have been at one time. But I think in our immaturity sometimes as believers, it can become that. But that approach to confession is an insult to God. Would you agree with that? It's an insult to who God is. We just read about who God is. God is light, and in Him is no Darkness of all, darkness at all. There's no variableness in him. There's no shadow of turning in him. He is perfect. We're talking about a thrice holy God. And it's a good thing that his love is unconditional. Otherwise, we'd all be in trouble tonight. We play the confession game because somewhere along the way, we were taught that the purpose of confession was conscience relief that the purpose of confession was conscience relief. That is, if we confess in order to make ourselves feel better about what we've done. We confess in order to make ourselves, I feel bad, I don't want to feel bad, and so I'm going to confess so that I feel... You see where the goal is wrong? The goal is that I feel guilty and I I don't like what it feels like to feel guilty, and so I want to alleviate my conscience of the burden of guilt, and so I'm willing to say whatever I need to say in order to get that conscience alleviated and freed. But how many have found, like I did, that the pseudo-confession that we're talking about doesn't ever remove guilt? It doesn't. It doesn't take it away. It's like Tylenol, right? Quick confession takes the edge off your pain, but it doesn't remove the problem. It just takes the edge off. It just alleviates you somewhat in your conscience. It's kind of like sometimes what people do, they want to do something. I want to, I, I got to come to church on Sunday. I got to read my Bible. I got to pray. I got to confess my sins to God. And what are they trying to do? Feel better. I want to feel better because I feel bad because I'm guilty because I'm doing things I shouldn't do because I'm being disobedient to God in my life. And so I'm trying to balance that with spiritual Tylenol. I'm trying to take the edge off the way my conscience feels, instead of actually changing and seeing God do change in my life. 
This is why we find ourselves repeating and confessing the sins of our past over and over again. The guilt is still there. The guilt is still there. How many know? Because the sin is still there. Let me just say that again. If the guilt is still there, the sin is still there. And if the sin isn't there, then there's no reason for you to feel guilty, is there? And if we have that pressing conviction of the Holy Spirit on our lives, with me tonight, God can speak to us tonight, Sunday night, I know, and I'm hoping that He does to all of us. I know this is a simple thought and a simple verse that we all know, but I want you to think about it with me. First one is don't play the confession game. The second thing is discover the purpose of confession. I want you to think about with me what is the purpose that John the Apostle is introducing to us here in his epistle of this kind of confession. What is the purpose of it? Because I think that there's, when we read this passage of Scripture, God is saying, I want you to discover something that's deeper than what you know religious confession to be. Those of you that were religious and said you went to confession, which was about half the people in the room, and I think that's amazing with the small crowd that we have. So discovering the purpose of confession, if you've been to confession, how many found out that that didn't stop you from sinning? It didn't break the cycle. As a matter of fact, it probably, like we said before, your confession habit fueled your sin habit. It just became a means of feeling better about your sin. How many know it's dangerous when we feel good about our sin? It's dangerous when we feel good about our sin. In other words, I'm getting away with it. Nothing bad's happening. I'm even getting ahead. I'm even getting blessed. Things are going good in my life. It is dangerous. We're kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden. We ate the fruit and we didn't die. And we're like, Maybe it wasn't really. Maybe the devil was, maybe he was telling the truth. Because didn't the devil say, you shall not surely die? And then they didn't. Eve ate the fruit. She didn't die. What did she do next? She shared her sin with her husband. And he wasn't deceived. And he knew what he was doing. And he purposely, intently did disobeyed God. Not being deceived. The Bible tells us that. And he did that. And guess what? He didn't die. But all of a sudden, what happened? they felt something they never felt before. Guilt. And how do we know they did? How do we know? They hid. How many know you don't hide unless you're guilty? How many figured that out as a parent? The one that's hiding is usually the guilty party, right? You know, usually if there's other brothers and sisters involved, I'm putting myself behind someone else. You know, I'm trying to find a way of passing off the blame of the buck. Now, Adam and Eve didn't do that in the garden, did they? Oh, the woman that you gave me. Oh, the serpent that you made. Oh, God, it's ultimately, it's your fault. You put us in the position. And here it was. They were dealing with something, and they didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't know how to properly deal with it, and they didn't discover until there was a sacrifice that was made and God pointing to what was going to be. And by faith, by the way, Adam and Eve accepted, didn't they? By faith. We know They were justified, right? By faith. Adam and Eve accepted by faith God's promise of redemption that was going to come. Because through the seed, right, the serpent was going to be crushed. And God made a way, and He already had a way. But the English definition of confession is to admit or to acknowledge something. But how many know that that is not the confession that the Bible is talking about? 
If you just take an... I've heard people say, well, if you just take good English... If we confess, the English definition of confession is to admit or acknowledge something. But the scriptures in the Bible, confession is associated with always, always associated with change. It's always associated with change. It's not just saying, I did it. It's changing. And if I'm not changing, according to the Bible, I'm not confessing. Are you with me? So if you didn't, change, and you said you confess, guess what? If we confess, change, repent, what happens? He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if I just say I did wrong, admit it, that's not change, is it? That's not what the Bible is talking about. It's easy for us to kind of take the English here and make it to be something that we're more accustomed to religiously in America. And confession is just one step, isn't it? In a sequence of steps that lead, how do we know? Because of the context. What is happening? The guilty is coming out of darkness and into the light, right? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, what's happening? We're coming out of darkness into light. Where's God? He's in the light, right? He he is light. He's in the light. And if we're going to fellowship with Him, we have to be in the light. And I can't be in the light while I'm in sin, can I? Because sin only happens in the dark. That's what God's saying. You have to be, you have to change. And by the way, that change is not something you do. That change is something that God's Spirit does in you. And it's simply, again, this confession that the Bible's talking about is the beginning of a process that ultimately leads to a change in lifestyle or behavior. So here's the thing. Here's the litmus test for us. If I confess but I don't change, then I have not biblically 1 John 1, 9 confessed. If I confess, admit, but I don't change, I have not 1 John 1, 9 confessed. So I cannot claim the promise of cleansing and forgiveness if I have not biblically confessed, if I haven't done what the Bible says. And so in the Scriptures, let me just give you this premise, because remember what I said, in the Scriptures, confession is always associated with change. Let me prove it to you. Numbers 5. Numbers 5, 6, and 7. Speak unto the children of Israel, when a man or woman shall commit any sin that men commit, to do a trespass against the Lord, and that person be guilty. So the person's guilty of sin, okay? Then they shall confess their sin, which they have done, and shall recompense their trespass with the principle thereof, and add it into the fifth part thereof, and give it unto him against whom he hath trespassed. Now let me tell you something. That is not just saying, I did it and I'm sorry, is it? This is a series of steps that involve making it right with the one I've wronged and it costing me. And I'm willing to do whatever is necessary, no matter what the cost, to making it right. How many know that's when real change happens in my life? When I am willing to do biblically whatever is necessary, no matter what it costs me to be right, then I'm ready for repentance. But if I'm trying to change it, if I'm trying to alter it, if I'm trying to loophole it, if I'm trying to redefine it, 
if I'm trying to just say it so I feel better, so I can get up and continue, then I have not repented, and therefore I have not discovered the purpose of biblical confession. So for the Jew, in the Old Testament, Numbers, this wasn't about feeling better about himself. It was about making things right. You get the difference? Biblical confession is not about me feeling better. It's about what I've done being made right. You see, even we make confession about us. God, I want to feel better. I I want to do whatever I can so that I can feel better about me so that I can continue to do what I want. But notice in the Bible, there was not only making things right, but interest to be paid. It wasn't enough to be sorry. God was interested in change. And having to go public in this way with your sin and make restitution certainly motivated people to change, didn't it? Because if I have to go in front of everybody and I've got to go to the person that I've done wrong to and I've got to say I've done wrong to you and I'm going to pay back whatever it is that I've hurt you, I'm going to make restitution. You know what we have as a loophole today? We have something called what? Insurance. And I'm glad for it, aren't you? There's an accident, something happens. Guess what? I don't have to pay for it. But this is what, there's no insurance in the Christian life that says, well, well, I'm saved, and so the blood of Christ is paid for my sin. I get that. But God doesn't say, that means you can say, oh, God, I'm sorry I did, I'm sorry I did that. Now I'm just going to continue. I feel better now. That's not what he's talking about. As a matter of fact, James continues this thought in his epistle, calling for confession to one another as part of our restoration. James seems to indicate here in his text in James 5, 5 through 16, that illness is sometimes caused by hidden sin and a lack of repentance. And regardless of where you land on that one, don't miss the implication of James's words. Because hidden sin may be the cause of visible illness. And because of that, the smartest thing you can do is repent, not only for God, but for other people. In other words, bring out your secret sins into the light. James 5, 5 to 16, The prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. How many have heard the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much? Out of the context. That doesn't mean that it doesn't apply. I'm, I'm, not, I'm with you. Effectual, fervent prayer from righteous people avails much. But sometimes we like to apply that to other things and, and, miss, and miss the application that God is making and telling us that the problem often within the church that we have is that we go and do this. This is what we do. Are you with me? This is what we do. I do it. I sinned. So I go to the altar. God, I, I'm sorry. It's done, right? Is that what God instructs in His Word? Let me, let, me, let me move to the last point. We're going to be done tonight. But what do we do? We're talking about discovering the purpose. What about differences with other people? How does this apply when I've sinned against someone else? Matthew 5, 23 and 24. You know it. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, in other words, you've sinned against somebody, and you're sacrificing to God. 
You're coming to God giving him what you think he wants. But you didn't go to the person that you sinned against. Leave your gift before the altar, go your way, and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer thy gift. I can imagine, can't you, someone in Jesus' audience is thinking, now wait a minute, you're telling me that I've walked all the way to the temple, stood in line for half the day, brought an acceptable sacrifice, and I'm supposed to get up and leave? You want me to tie up my lamb or hand my pigeon off to someone else just to make peace with someone who's mad at me? Jesus comes along in his characteristic fashion, reverses everything, doesn't he? In effect, he's saying this. He's saying the same thing he says throughout all of his messages. Our relationship with God hinges on our relationship with other people, and the two are inseparable. What are the two greatest commandments? Love God with all your heart, right? Soul, mind, strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Didn't God say they're the hinge? On this hang, you can say hang, hinge, whatever you want it to be, a hook, whatever you want it to be, but the supporting structure of all the law and the prophets is love God and love your neighbor. And you cannot separate. In other words, I cannot say, are you with me? I cannot say, I love God and hate my brother. Is the Bible pretty clear about that? I can't say tonight, and you can't say tonight, I'm right with God, and I have a problem with somebody else. I've sinned against somebody else. This is fun. I think we got the guy smoking. He doesn't even know we're having a service. Maybe someone should tell him. But Thank God for people coming in. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Tom. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just don't worry. All right, all right. You can nicely tell him. Tell him to smoke in the back where the deacons do. All right, so... <laughs> but what is God saying? He needs to go to confession. What, what, is, what is God saying to us? He's saying here that your connection to other brothers and sisters in Christ is part of your connection to God, and you cannot separate those two things. You cannot be right with God if you're not right with others. Boy, that makes it all different, doesn't it? Because how many thought that making it right with God was just saying, God, I sinned? Does that just make it right with other people? It doesn't, does it? I can't just go to somebody and say, hey, you know that thing I did to you? Sorry. As quickly as possible, can we just get over this awkward moment? You over it now? Will you be my friend again? Because God tells you you're supposed to forgive, right? And I said it. I said it. I did it, okay? It's, it's done. We're, right, we're good now, right? Shake hands. Is that how it works? It doesn't work that way. How does it work? Humility. Repentance. Me coming saying, yes, I did wrong, but also... If there's something that I need to do to make it right, restitution, I'm willing to do it. Whatever it costs, I'm willing to make it right. Even if it costs me something that I want. Are you with me? I'm willing to give up something, whatever it is, to make it right. How many of you want to be right with God like I do? But don't we loophole that sometimes? By, well, I came to church, and pastor, I listened. I even came back on Sunday night. 
Look at everybody that's not here. Look at how dedicated I am. I mean, we're like, I'm here. Don't I get a pass? Well, here's the truth tonight. Maybe God wants us to mature a little bit and grow a little bit deeper as a body of Christ and say, there's some things, some ways that we do things that we've adopted even within the church that are just not biblical. And I can't be right with God tonight if I've offended someone and I'm unwilling to humble myself to that person and make it right with them. You with me? Well, that changes the whole game, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, what does it do? It just breaks the whole game. That means I cannot piously go through life telling God I'm sorry for what I did while I mistreat my spouse. I have to make restitution. I don't have the option to just mistreat other people in my life and just say, well, I'm right with God. I wish everybody else would be like I am. If I've done wrong to someone, I need to go to them and make it right. You cannot resolve your differences with God if you're unwilling to resolve your differences with the people around you. And what does that do? When I have to go to somebody and say that I did wrong, boy, change has to happen, doesn't it? Because now I've not only said that I've done wrong, but I've put myself in a position where someone else knows about it. And confession took place. Real confession has taken place. And what is the biblical obligation of the person hearing that? Forgiveness, acceptance, love, desire to restore, right? You say, well, what if the other person won't? It's not your job to calculate the response of the person. It's your job to make sure that you do what God says. Confessing secretly to God or to a priest is not a substitute for confessing openly to someone you've wronged. God values relationships and considers restoration a priority. Would you believe that? Do you you believe that tonight? Does God value restoration? He died on a cross to make it happen. He values it. What Jesus did was hang publicly naked on a cross to pay for our sins. Everybody knew. Who was put to shame? Jesus was. The Bible says he despised the shame, didn't he? In other words, he took our shame when he took our sins, and he didn't hide. He did, Jesus didn't have a, did Jesus have some, some private execution behind closed doors that nobody... No, no, it was a public mock execution. It was the death we should die, and it's the death that our sin needs to die, and Jesus took that on himself. Some things need to be broken. Some things need to be broken. Open confession has the power to break the cycle of sin. How many believe that tonight? Some things need to be broken. How many believe that the cycle of sin in your life needs to be broken? I believe that for my life. That is the purpose of confession. 1 John 1, 9 confession is not about you feeling better about what you did. 1 John 1, 9 confession is about you breaking the cycle of sin in your life. If you start confessing your sins to the people you sin against, odds are you're not going to go back and commit those same sins against them again. Maybe that's the reason we'd rather just confess silently to God. God, I'm sorry. I did that. It gives us an out. Because we can be repeat offenders without embarrassing ourselves. 
I say maybe. In fact, that's exactly why we confess secretly. In many cases, we know we're going to repeat the offense, don't we? I know I'm going to do it again, and so I'm not going to say I'm sorry. I'm not going to go to the person to make it right because I know I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to embarrass myself. How many know that pride needs to be broken in our lives? And the only way for that to happen is for us to do what God says. How many believe that God has the best way and the only way? Guilty people are usually repeat offenders. Even the law knows that. Guilty people are usually repeat. Isn't that why we put people in jail? Not just because of what they did, but because we know that guilty people are usually repeat offenders that if someone did it, they're probably going to do it again. And as long as you're carrying a secret, as long as you're trying to ease your conscience by telling God how sorry you are, you're setting yourself up to repeat the past. So what does that look like practically? We're done tonight. Young people, listen to me. I know we got teenagers, college age, every age tonight. That means if you sin against your parents, you don't tell God you're sorry first. You tell your parents you're sorry first, and you make it right with them, and then you go to God. That's God's order. That means, husbands and wives, when we sin against each other, we don't just go to God and lay our head on the pillow and say, God, I'm sorry that I did this. We go to our spouse, and we don't stop confessing and humbling ourselves until we're able to embrace again. Are you with me? Now, that sometimes takes some time, doesn't it? And sometimes it gets a little messy. Confession, true biblical confession, is messy. It's why we avoid it. It's why religion puts it in a dark closet with a curtain. Because it's easier. We're trying to make confession as easy as possible. And God says true spiritual confession is never easy. And it's not going to be easy. But the easy way is not what we need because sin is repeated when we take the easy way out, but it is crushed when we do things God's way, which may be the hard way. And when I'm wrong, I go to the person that I've wronged. I don't go to them with some kind of arrogant attitude and say that, Well, you just deal with it. That's just the way that it is. I can't change the way or who I am and all those excuses. Come on, have have you ever done that? You go and your apology sounds more like an excuse? Your apology sounds more like an excuse? How many know as soon as you start down that road, repentance is not going to take place? When I'm repenting, I'm not excusing. When I'm repenting, I'm saying there is no excuse for what I've done. And I'm not going to excuse it. Guess what? That's when we can have true restoration. How many churches have been split because this has been ignored? How many people have not only backslidden, but fallen prey to addictive, besetting sins and got away from God because they ignored this? Or misapplied this and made this be some kind of loophole approach to God. How many times have you and I gone days and weeks and months cold in our spiritual relationship with God because we treat confession 
like some closet to keep our sins secret in instead of a place for sin cycle to be broken through repentance. It's tough, isn't it? It's hard, but it's wonderful when we do it. Because guess what? We finally alleviate ourselves of the guilt burden that God does not want us to carry. Because we know we have it. It's there, isn't it? And we know we're going to do it again. And the guilt gets alleviated when repentance takes place. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.